0: I'm going to ask you to take God's word in your hands and turn to the book of Hebrews this morning. We've been in a series that we've entitled Heroes from Hebrews, and uh, we have been learning uh, what uh, different men and women of the faith did to honor God in their day when God called them to live lives of obedience. And we have seen Abel, who worshiped by faith and worshiped God well and was commended for it. We saw Enoch, who, has walk, who walked with God his life, during his life. And as a result of that, please God, and God would see fit to not allow him to taste death, but to uh, be carried off into heaven as a result of his faithfulness. We saw Noah work with God in the building of the ark and the saving of his family from the flood and the calamity that was going to impact humanity. And today, we're going to look at Abraham, uh, one of the great patriarchs of the faith, and we're going to learn that Abraham went where God called him to. To go, and we're going to learn that we too are on a journey, and God will at times in our lives call us to do things that maybe we are not altogether comfortable with doing. And as a result of that, we're going to learn how Abraham exhibited faith, and in doing so, is commended for it. Uh, But before we get there, let's go ahead and read our uh, text this morning. We're going to be in Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews chapter 11, and we're going to be starting in verse 8, and then we're going to go all the way through verse 16. Now, we will deal with Abraham again next week because the book of Hebrews dedicates so much in this chapter to the life and times of Abraham. So we'll pick up the first part of the story and then pick up where we leave off for next week. It says in verse 8, By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. And when he went out, not knowing where, who had promised therefore from one man and him speaking of Abraham as good as dead were born descendants as many as the stars of the heaven and as many as the innumerable grains of sand by the seashore let's stop there and ask for God's blessing father god we come before you and we ask for you to make yourself present in our time this morning father wherever we may find ourselves in this previous week lord i pray that we would be attentive to what you have to share with us this morning father i pray for a blessing on the reading of your word for the hearing of it lord for the preaching of your word and most importantly lord i pray that the people of god including myself would apply what we hear and what we learn about you to our own lives lord that we may emulate the faith of abraham that we may emulate it, but even more that we may see the good that was accomplished by him being obedient and that we might walk in step with that. But Father, even more importantly, I pray that we will model our lives after Jesus Christ, who is the author and perfecter of our faith. So Lord, thank you for this time. We ask your blessing upon it, and we ask that we will learn now from your word. In the precious name of Jesus Christ, your son, we pray. Amen and amen. Well, these days, knowing about your ancestry is a big deal. Commercials are all over to find out your DNA. Uh, Ancestry.com will help you to find out what your people group is and where you may be. And a lot of people are really, really surprised by what they learn with regards to where they come from. Now I have the luxury uh, of being a part of an immigrant family. And so a part of the immigrant story is learning about the heritage. For many that don't know, my dad uh, was born in Iraq. He lived in Baghdad. And when he was 16 years of age, he was the second in our entire family to make the trek to America. And, and that's an amazing thought. My dad didn't know English. My dad had never been to America. My dad had only seen glimpses of America on television at a store in downtown Baghdad. He knew very little bit about the land of which he was going to go. And he was 16 years when they put him on a plane and sent him here to start a new life with the intention that he and his brother would create a life that would allow the entire family, in fact the entire clan of Badals to make it here to America. But that's not the beginning of the story. It's the end of the story. And I remember asking when I was getting older, you know, why America? There was a lot of other places that my family could have immigrated to. Why Chicago? I mean, my, parent, my, my, my dad lived in a desert land. Uh, right now, during the summer, it's 125 degrees in Baghdad, okay? Why would you come to Chicago when it's 25 below zero? What, that made no sense. My dad had not seen snow except for uh, faraway mountains mountain landscapes that he had seen it from and so what would have caused him to do that and when I was about I don't know nine or ten years old I came to this realization that I wanted to know the story and the story amazed me the story starts around the turn of the last century around the 1900s the World's Fair takes place here in Chicago. The World's Fair was where the world would stop. If you think of the Olympics, it's the Olympics on steroids from a commercial standpoint, from, a, from all types of involvement in trade. And two families, one from Iran and one from Iraq, came to America uh, not knowing one another to trade goods, and to trade, and, and to learn secrets, and to become better merchants. Those two sets of couples were my two great-grandparents, and they came to Chicago, and at the Chicago's World Fair, many say it was the greatest World's Fair that had ever taken place. Of course, we're in the beginning of what really was the Industrial Revolution of America. For the first time in all of the world, and all of human history, light shined Over all of chicagoland because they had lit uh, the entire city with electrical lights So no more flames and all of that the incandescent light bulb was lighting every street And it was the first time in a large scale anything like that had taken place Well, my great-grandparents had never seen light before like that They had seen their first automobile in chicago and they see all of these incredible things And they head back one to iran and one to iraq and they had met there in chicago Chicago and they had had dinner together because they probably were only the few people from the Middle East that may have been there And they did one thing before they left out of Chicago And that is make a decision that my grandma and my grandpa would become husband and wife. It was an arranged marriage And so they head back home And my dad said from a young age, he heard from his grandma and his grandpa, you've got to get to America. There is no place better than America. And there's no better place in all of America to be than Chicago, Illinois of which my dad had no idea of Chicago, Illinois. He knew nothing of any real uh, understanding of America living in Baghdad. In fact, a story is told in probably the late 1950s. There's a gathering at my uh, grandparents' home in Baghdad and the men are sitting around drinking tea and they're talking about how great life in Baghdad was. And my great-grandmother ran into the room and she said, stop talking like this is your home. Home. This isn't your home. I've been to America and it knocks a rock off of, its, uh, off of its rocker, if you will, because it is so much better. My prayer, my hope, my dream is that my family will one day be in America. Well, that would happen in 1964. My uncle would come to America. He would come to Chicago. He would re- enroll at a little school called Aurora University. And then four years later, my 16-year-old dad would make the trek to America. One of the funny stories about his first visit to America, he's in uh, the New York airport. And he comes in and he sees a bottle of pop and, at the bar. And he wants to buy a bottle of pop. And he's not really had anything but Coca-Cola before and he pointed to the guy next to him and he says, I'll have one of those and gives the money and he drinks it and little does he know he's drinking Dr. Pepper and he said to himself in his thought, no wonder Americans are so healthy, they drink cold medicine all the time. And so he comes to this country, no language. He comes to this country with no job. He comes to this country with only what's on his back. And he comes with a college age brother who's going to kind of steer him the right way. Now, I don't know about you. I have a 15 year old son. I don't let him go to Aurora by himself, let alone America with his older brother, right? What an amazing story. And the amazing thing is, is that even though they didn't know anything and weren't promised anything, on the word of their grandparents, they believed in something. And in a matter of four years after my father got here, the rest of the family, aunts and uncles the entire clan, made their way in the shadows of Chicago, Illinois, on a dream by a grandparent. Today, we look at the story of a man who heard a voice from heaven, a voice from God, who told him, I want you to leave everything you know, and I want you to go to a place which I will tell you about in the future. But here's what I want you to know. When you get there, it's going to knock your socks off. And Abraham... Believing the Word of God gets up and heads out on that journey, not knowing what he 's going to get, not knowing what he 's going to find there, not sure of what the prospects of work and, and a life there would look like, but based on the Word of God, he went and it 's a reminder that sometimes god 's ways are cloudy for us, but in those cloudy moments, we need to trust resolutely in the will. And plan of God now before we get to abraham 's faith, like we 've had to do with each of the characters before him we 've got to understand who this character is Abraham. Now Abraham is one of the greatest, most well known men in all of the world and in all of human history. In fact, three major religions make their beginnings or pin their beginnings to the life and times of this man, Abraham. The Jewish people say he is the father of their nation that every Jewish ancestor wants to make their lineage back to father Abraham. Islam says he is the prototypic prototype of all the great prophets of old and they they claim that he is the father of the Islamic faith. Christianity says that while we are not physical descendants of Abraham, we are spiritual descendants that when we trust in Jesus Christ by faith through grace, we are grafted in, the book of Romans and Galatians says, into the family and lineage of Father Abraham. This is a great man. In fact, the book of Genesis dedicates three quarters of its writings to this man and his wife and their journey of faith together, his son, his two grandsons, and then he spends a third talking about his great-grandson, Joseph. In fact, the book of Hebrews chapter 11 dedicates more than one third of this chapter to Abraham's life. Now, you might say, well, that's not that big of a deal. Well, it is when Noah, Enoch, and Abel only get a verse or two. Here, we're gonna take two weeks to look at this man's life and we only scratch the surface. But it isn't just the Old Testament that speaks of Abraham. The New Testament mentions Abraham's name and his life more than 70 times in the New Testament alone. This guy is important. Now, right away, when you come to a man of such stature, a pillar of such grandeur, if you will, it is easy to think that this man was born with a silver spoon in his mouth, that he had it all going for him. But I want you to know today that Abraham, while he was a great man of faith, he blew it in some really big ways. He had some awesome mountaintop experiences. And there are chapters of the Bible where you will sit there and go, What in the world are you doing, Abraham? Why would you do such a thing? It just seems crazy. But I want you to know a couple things about this man because if we're going to apply principles from his life into ours, we've got to understand the kind of man we're looking at. And the first thing I want you to see, and it's not in your outline, so just write this somewhere else, is that first of all, we need to understand that Abraham was a spiritually a pagan man. Spiritually, he was a pagan man. As we look at the life of Abraham, we are told... In Genesis chapter 12, and that's kind of the uh, the place where we'll find a lot of the information that Hebrews is talking about. In Genesis chapter 12, we are told that Abraham lives in a place called Ur of the Chaldeans. Ur is an ancient city in southern Iraq. That's why I connect my dad and Abraham together. Now, a lot is going on in Iraq during this time in the book of Genesis. Right, right before the calling of Abraham, we have the chronicling of the city of Babel. Remember the Tower of Babel. The Tower of Babel takes place uh, in a city that a man named Nimrod, and he was a Nimrod because he built the Tower of Babel. That's kind of where you get the idea of why we use that phrase. Nimrod lived in the middle or central part of Iraq, what is Iraq today. And so this connection, the epicenter of what God is doing is happening in what is present day Iraq. And God calls this man from southern Iraq in a place called Ur of the Chaldeans and he calls him out of a life. Now right away you would think God picked a guy that was just perfect, head of his class, bright, brilliant, incredibly spiritual. My goodness, he is going to be the foundation of God's people. God's promise and covenant is going to go through this man and his descendants. He has to be prime, aged A, grade A steak of a kind, right? The kind of steak you want to have on Father's Day, the best of the best. But that's not the case, Abraham is a spiritually pagan man. We know he came from a pagan family. Terah, the name Terah, was given to his father, and his father was named after the gods of Ur of the Chaldeans. In fact, we are told in Jewish history in the Midrash, which is rabbinical writing that precedes the life of Christ, that uh, Terah, Abraham's dad, was a priest, to the god Herki, who was the moon god of their land. Not only was he a priest, but he had the job of leading in the Herki worship, that sounds kind of funny, in the Herki worship that would go on in the day. And in the Midrash, it says Abraham as a young boy would help his father fashion um, idols that would be used for worship for the different gods who they served. And so he's a spiritually pagan name. He's named after a pagan. His dad's a priest. He is growing up in a pagan world where Hercule is God. But I want you to know something else about this Abraham. Not only is he a pagan, but I want you to also know that intellectually, they're advanced in their culture and in his community. Right away, you think, okay, four thousand years. So we have two thousand years from us to Jesus, and then two thousand years from Jesus to Abraham. And right away, we think, okay, how would life? What would life look like four thousand years ago? Well, some of us young people, some of the young people in our midst, will think that the seventies is prehistoric, right? To make now 4,000 years, you get this idea that you think that Abraham's a Neanderthal. You get this picture, okay, he has a wife, and he's dragging his wife around by her hair, and he's got a club, and he grunts a lot. That's Abraham, right? He's the missing link. He's this hairy beast that doesn't know language and all of that. He may have a wife, me, Abraham, you, wife, Sarah. That's about as far as he goes, But secular history and biblical history tell us something very, very different. About 100 years after Abraham's death, we have in our hands what is called Hammurabi's Code. Hammurabi's Code came from Iraq, so it's around the same area, and in it is some some of the most sophisticated laws and justice system that is placed before them, written in writing. We have the history of the Sumerians and the Akkadians around that time. And one of the ways you would know if a society was sophisticated or not was whether they made the decision to write down their history. That they said, listen, what happened in the past should be written down so future generations can know it. And we have all kinds of written history from Abraham's time. And so Abraham, when he hears from God, doesn't grunt back to God. Okay, God, I'll do what you want me to do. He is a man of reason. He's a man of intellect. He's a man of his day. We know from archaeological findings that the land that he would have lived in would have had working sewer systems, would have had major areas of commerce and municipalities, forms of government would have been there. His life would have been very, very similar. the life we live in. A time of law and justice would have prevailed over the land. He lived in an advanced time. Number three, we want to ask the question, what was he like socially? And he was socially connected. He was socially connected. Now we are told in Genesis chapter 12, verse 1 and 2, that a word of the Lord comes to Abraham. And it says, I want you to leave your place of residence. And I want you to leave all of your kindred. And I want you to leave all that you uh, know and are comfortable with. And I want you to move away. Now, a couple of things we need to know. He does take some things with him. Number one, he takes his dad, Tara. And that shows us that there's a love relationship between son and father. And you can know If you really, really love your family, if you take them on a long, long journey together. Years ago, my father-in-law said to me, after I took my mother-in-law and father-in-law with us to Disney World in a van, my father-in-law comes up to me at Disney World, puts his arm around me, says, I've always wondered if you've loved me or not. And I kind of looked at him, but he says, now I know it to be true, because you traveled 22 hours in a van with your mother-in-law and I, and never did you kick us out, so you know when Abraham takes his dad, he takes him because he loves him. Now here's another thing. When Abraham takes his dad, his dad, Tara, is about 200 years of age. Abraham is about 75. And so he's taking an aged father, and he's taking him on the journey. Dad, I want you to be a part of what God is leading me to. Second, we see that he's socially connected to his nephew. We are told that lot goes with him. Now, the reason why Lot, his nephew, goes with Abraham is Lot doesn't have a dad. Moses tells us in Genesis that uh, Lot's dad dies while they're living in Ur of the Chaldeans. And so this boy is without a dad, a male figure in his life, and Abraham, as a loyal uncle, says, hey, I'm not going to leave you hanging here, buddy. I love you. I love my brother, and I'm going to take you to be with me. And not only does he take him to be with him, but he treats him as a son. He cares for him. He gives him the nicest of lands when they kind of split their ways and divide the spoils of the land that they have. He says, Lot, I want you to pick all that you want. It's yours. He loved his nephew, Lot. And he says, I want you to come with me. Now, as a word of of reminder for fathers... Lot's life doesn't go the way Abraham's life goes. And I was thinking as it being Father's Day, what a reminder of the importance of fathers in the lives of their children. Now, Lot lost his dad to death, and it's maybe part of the reason why Lot struggles in life so much is he doesn't have a father who's ministering to him and and leading him and guiding him. And again, men, what a great reminder of the great blessing we can be to our children and to those around us by being there and being present in the life of our children and ministering to them. Lot's life may have been a lot different. Had he had a dad who was leading the way, but he doesn't. He's got a great uncle, but uncles can never substitute what a father is called to do. The final person that is brought along for the journey, which shows a deep connection, is Sarah. Sarah is Abraham's wife. Now you would say, why in the world would Abraham not take his wife? Well, the Bible says that Sarah was barren. And Sarah had been barren for a long time. In fact, those days of child uh, child, uh, giving were gone for Sarah. They had given up hope on Sarah. And in that day and in that society, barrenness was seen as a curse. And so here is a new opportunity for Abraham. God is saying, I'm going to make you a great nation. I'm going to make you descendants. And what does he do? My wife's coming with me but she's barren there's no way she's going to have a kid and and many in that day would have said a new life i'm going to leave this old wife and i'm going to go find myself a new one and listen never does abraham say a negative thing about his wife he loved her to death he loved her and he took her with him so here we have this man he's spiritually pagan he believes in Herkey, the god of the moon he's a part of an advanced society he's living life he's deeply connected like many of us to our family and he hears the voice of God this brings us to our text this morning He brings us, or he hears from the voice of God, and we are told that God speaks to him and says, I want you to go from everything that you know and have certainty of, and I want to send you to a place that I'm going to tell you about. He doesn't give him the destination. He just says, I want you to head out. I'll show you the place. And when you get there, I'll tell you you've arrived, and along the way, I want you to take a step of faith each and every moment, trusting in me that I'm going to do great things in your life. Now, I want you to stop there for a moment, and I want you to see, and this is the first point this morning, the insanity of it all. Sometimes God calls us to insane things. From a human standpoint, this makes no sense. Abraham is 75. At that point in his life, and based on the life expectancy of the people during the time of Genesis, that would put him, if you were to put our life expectancy on him, to be about my age. All right, And I would say I'm very much middle age. Okay, Whether you're my peer or not, we are at middle age. And what I want you to recognize in that is by the time you turn 40, most of your roots are locked in. I recently heard that you only like the music uh, that you grew up with up to 25. Once you hit 25, you don't like new music, which I thought was kind of funny. And then I looked at the music I like, and it's all pre-25 because music today stinks, amen, amen, right, yeah, all right, and so you are built into who you are by the time you're 40, you have a community that you're a part of by the time you're 40, of course, by that time, you either married or have a a family connection that has brought you together, Uh, you probably have kids at that point, you've been involved in a career at that point, you've got a life. And at 75, halfway through the age of Abraham, he has his life. Things are going well in Ur. He's spiritually lost, but he's okay. He's got a great family. Life in Ur is going really, really well. And God says, I want you to leave everything that you know, everything that makes you comfortable, and I want you to go. Let's see how it picks up. Turn in your Bibles to the book of Genesis for a moment, Genesis chapter 12. Genesis chapter 12. Genesis chapter 12, verse 1, here's how it goes down. Now the Lord said to Abram, now let's just stop there and ask the question, when did this happen? Did this happen midway in the journey? Did this happen uh, at the beginning of the journey? When did it happen? Stephen, in his sermon in Acts chapter 6, says that while living in Ur of the land of the chaldeans abraham hears from god so he's living life he's doing what he had done every day for the last 75 years and he hears a voice from god now we don't know how he heard this voice we don't know if God visibly made himself present. We don't know if an angel came. We don't know. In the Bible uh, a documentary that was done some years ago, he hears the voice in the wind, all right? Now, I don't know if that's true or not. It's good speculative ideas, but we don't know how he hears it. But what we know that he doesn't get, and Moses no doubt would have written it down when he learned of this, there's no pyrotechnics going on. There's no, you don't hear of any flashes, you don't hear of any fires, you don't hear of any miracles. All you hear is the word of God came to Abram. What does the word of God say? Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land I will show you. Where's the land? I'm not gonna tell you. I will show you it. And I will make of you a great nation and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. And him who dishonors you, I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. And notice what it says. So Abraham pondered it. No, my translation says, so Abraham postponed it. My translation also says, so Abraham asked lots of questions. No, look at what it says. So, Abraham, nice and loud, help me out. What did Abraham do? He went, he obeyed. And it says that he took Lot with him. He was 75 years when he departed. Let's just stop there for a moment. Now, right away, you would say, well, of course he would go, Tim. He just heard a voice from God. If I heard a voice from God, I would go too. I want you to respond in your mind with the phrase baloney, all right? It's not as clean or cut as we make it out to be. And here's one of the reasons why I know that to be true. The writer of this, Moses, who says, Abraham hears from the Lord and goes is Moses and let's talk about Moses for a moment. If anybody would have understood a voice coming from the heavens or a, a god speaking to him about doing something extraordinary, Moses would know it. So let's fast forward to the book of Exodus. Moses has fled Egypt. He was a part of Pharaoh's household. God had saved him and protected him from a demise. And now he has been a part of Pharaoh's household. And because of some rash thinking on his part, trying to be his deliverer of his people, Moses flees Egypt and now has married a woman and lives in the land of Midian. And he's tending to his father-in-law Jethro's sheep. And as he's shepherding these sheep, he's out one day and he comes upon a bush. And this bush is unlike any bush he's ever seen before because it's ablaze, except it's not being consumed. And to make it even crazier, a voice comes out from the bush and it says, Hey, I'm God. That doesn't happen very often. And the voice says, Hey, take off your sandals. You're walking on holy ground. And I want you to approach me because, Moses, I know you. Moses, I've got a plan for you. Moses, I've known you since the beginning. And Moses, I know the condition of your people. My people in Egypt, they're in bondage and they need to be liberated. And Moses, you're the guy for the job. Now, Moses doesn't do what Abraham does. Moses says, hey, wait a minute. Moses does what Arnold Drummond did in different strokes. What you talking about, God? And he comes up with an excuse he says listen I I don't talk too good and God says listen buddy I'm God and I can use a stammering fool like you to accomplish my purposes well how am I going to know that God how's Pharaoh going to know that and God does some pyrotechnics he takes the staff of Moses and he turns it into a snake that's pretty cool And then he says, okay, Moses, that's not good enough. Take your hand, put it in your cloak, pull it out. He pulls it out. The skin's falling off of it. It's leprous. And now he's freaking out. What'd you do to my hand, God? Put it back in. He puts it back in his cloak, pulls it out. It's all well again. Even after a burning bush that doesn't get consumed, a voice from heaven, a um, staff turning into a snake, a, a hand turning leprous and then then being cured, Moses still comes up with an excuse. Some of us this morning are hearing the voice of God, and we are Moses, not Abraham okay? We are, are coming up with excuses. We're coming up with postponements. We're coming up with all kinds of answers except for what Abraham did. Abraham heard from God and he went. No grumbling, no questioning, no nothing. God, I hear you and you are a great God. You're an awesome God. I'm going to do what you say and I'm not going to question it. And if anybody would have written that down, I bet you it steamed Moses That Moses had to write down that Abraham went and later on he would have to write down, but I didn't. That had to really chap Moses. But that's what Abraham does. He obeys. Now notice what he obeys. He obeys the insane calling of God. Why was it insane? Number one, he was going to be sent to an unfamiliar place. It was insane because he he didn't know where he was going. Verse 8 of Hebrews 11, by faith Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive an inheritance. And he went out, this is a great thing to underline in your Bible, not knowing where he was going. So he hears from God. God says, I want you to trust me. And I want you to trust me because I am going to make you great. We live in a society and we turn on our TVs and we watch people selling all kinds of products that say, I will make you great. This will make your life better. And if we will just give three installments of 1999, We can experience that greatness, and sadly, too often, those things never come to fruition. But this is a faithful, trustworthy God, and he says, I'm going to make you great, but you've got to trust and obey that where I'm sending you, that I won't do you wrong. Some of us this morning are being called to unfamiliar places. Now, you may not be being called from Iraq to Israel, but you may be being called to meet and to minister in unfamiliar places. This last May, one of our high school students uh, was named valedictorian of their school. Her name was Michaela Williams, daughter of Tully and Monica Williams. And as a great student that she was, she was valedictorian. Of course, valedictorians give the speech uh, for graduation. And she gives, I think it's an eight or nine minute speech. And I watched her speech on, online. Someone had recorded it. And I was blown away by her speech. Because in her speech, she talked about growing up in the town of Newark, which is, of course, a small rural community. And she talks about being familiar with her friends and she had this circle uh, that she knew and it was a wonderful circle of comfortability, of protection. But she said at some point, my parents made a decision. And this is all in the speech. She said my parents made a decision to change churches. And she says we moved into a church that was all about the unfamiliar, by stepping out in faith. And she tells the story, and I love that it connects today with our commissioning, because at one point she was up here some years ago going out on the Aurora Missions trip, and her connection with the Aurora Missions trip connected her with Urban Youth Ministries, and she said, I was called into unfamiliar places with unfamiliar people, and she said to her classmates and all those in that gymnasium, it changed my life. She says, I was impacted, and it was all because my parents moved me from the comfortable, what I was okay with, into the unfamiliar territory. Can I tell you something? God wants to call his people time and time again. You see it in the Old Testament, and it is true today. God does his best work when we are unfamiliar in the surroundings that we're ministering in, and here's why. Because when we're unfamiliar, we got to trust him a whole lot more than we trust ourselves. Understand? And so God is calling Abraham, and he's calling us to unfamiliar places. I don't know where I'm going, but that's okay. God's with me. And he's made plans for me. But I want you to notice something else. He's got to take a big step of faith because he's got to trust in unrealized promises. Verse 9 of Hebrews 11. By faith, he went to a land to live in the land of promise, as in a foreign land. He lived in tents. Now, now let's just stop there and deal with the first part of that phrase. He lived in a land of promise. What was the promise? The promise is that, in essence, listen, Abraham would be the greatest man who's ever lived. That's what God is promising him. I'm going to knock your socks off. But here's the problem. When Abraham makes that first step of faith, nothing of greatness has come his way. In fact, I'm going to imagine when he leaves, just as Noah, we learned last week, people come up to Abraham and they say, Abraham, where are you going? Well, I heard a voice from God. Herky? No, a different God. And this God told me, I am to go somewhere. Well, where are you going? I don't know. Well, what are you going to do? I don't know. Well, how are you going to live? Not sure. Why would you do it? Because God says uh, he's going to make me great. And he's going to make this move a great move for me and my family and my descendants. God is going to use me to do great things. Brothers and sisters, it does the world well at times for our friends and family and coworkers and acquaintances to hear from us sometimes, God's called me to something, and your friends and family say, why? And you say, I don't know, but God told me, and that's why I'm going. You see, we want... Our spiritual lives to be all pretty in a box with a bow on it, all formed just perfectly. But sometimes God is going to, at times, call us to something that we don't even know what's gonna come of it. My own calling as a pastor fits this understanding. I've shared this story, spent some time since I've done it, and so I'll share it again with you. But I uh, was asked to serve as pastor here, and I was a young man, I was in my mid-20s at the time, and and I hadn't preached very much. The the qualifications that we were looking for in a pastor, there were 10. I still have the paperwork of it. The 10 qualifications of the next pastor of Village Bible Church, I met one of the qualifications. I was saved. But there was question. And if that was true or not, all right? And so when I got asked to serve as the pastor, I had all kinds of doubts. I had all kinds of thoughts that, my goodness, what am I going to do? What's, what's going to happen? And I will never forget the day after the elders had come to me and said, we believe you are God's man to help lead this church in the years to come, I got a call, and I got a call, and some of you will remember this name, others it won't mean anything to you, but I got a call from a man that I had very little contact in the church with. He was an older man at the time, and his name was Keith Henderson. He cleaned our church, a faithful man. Him and his wife were wonderful people, and they had been in the church for a a long, long time. Well, Keith calls me out of the blue, and he says, Tim, I need to talk with you, and there's a quiver in his voice, and, and he says, I had a dream last night. I said, that's weird. An old guy called me about a dream. Okay. And he said, you were in the dream can I tell you the dream? He says, I can't shake this dream and I don't know what to do with it. I've never experienced anything like this before. And he says, my dream, and at the time, I want you to know, Village was at a very transitional time. We had just gone through a very, very difficult pastoral transition and the future of the church was really up in the air. What was gonna happen to this church? What was God going to do? And this old man says to me, I had a dream last night and the dream was I came to church and it wasn't empty like it had been for for a while, he says, it was busting at the seams. And he says, everybody was talking about what God was doing in and through Village Bible Church. And he said, I didn't know anybody that was in the audience, but he said, the only person I knew was you and you were up there preaching. And he says, I don't know, but God keeps telling me, I need to tell you, you need to be the pastor of Village Bible Church. I said, Keith, what do you know? Someone told you something, Right? He said, No, I said, the elders yesterday extended a call for me to consider being the pastor. You had to have known that. He said, I haven't talked to anybody. And he said, I don't know what to do with this. I've never had anything like this. And now looking back, 15, 16 years of ministry, and that man, whether you believe in dreams or not, his dream was a reality. Village Bible Church is a booming place where God is using us not only here in these four walls but in our communities and now at five campuses and now all across the world we're sending teams out to share the love of Jesus Christ and it's because of God's faithfulness to us as a people. Now here's the crazy thing. That first step in making a decision, the week before the church voted on me, I stood right where I'm at right now and I read a letter, I just recently found it and laughed at my lack of faith. One of the points, I gave a whole bunch of points why you shouldn't vote for me as your pastor. One of the points was, I think at some point I will run out of sermons. (laughs) I'm gonna run out of material. Now some of you would say, amen, you ran out of sermons five years ago, okay? (laughs) But my faith was, I'm gonna run out of stuff. I, and I would if I was in trusting my own strength. But one step at a time. Now, I want you to know something. Had you asked me a year or two before that calling was realized and said, Tim, what does the next 15, 16 years look like? Pastoring would have never come out of my mouth. And I want you to know, God sometimes calls us to the insane things the insane things and he wants us to take a step of faith and he will promise and he will give a glimpse of it But sometimes it takes a while. My first couple years, church wasn't full. My first couple years of pastoring were some of the hardest years I've ever experienced in ministry. And I started wondering, is my job just to close this place down? Is God disciplining me? But no, God says, listen, it's gonna be hard for a little while, but I'm gonna let you realize something great in the future. Unrealized promises. Finally, we gotta be careful because also we'll have unclear destinations. He didn't know where he was going. He didn't know what he was doing. And some of us are wondering, God, you've got me here. I don't know what you're doing. I'm not sure what I should be uh, be focused in on. And here's a thing that I want you to see from this. Notice when he gets to the promised land, he lives in tents. Now that's an important thing. He doesn't uh, dig down roots. He doesn't build houses and structures where he'll stay. He says, God, I don't know what you're doing. I don't know what your calling for me tomorrow is going to be, and I want to be ready to be able to pick up and move wherever you need me to be. And quite frankly, some of us this morning find ourselves not where we should be with God because we're so enrooted, if you will, where we live and what we're doing that God says, hey, I want you to go. And you say, sorry, can't do it. I've got so many commitments here. And so Abraham says, I'm going to live in tents so I can move and I can be versatile for wherever God wants me to go. I'm going to be moldable to be able to be shaped and allow my life to be shaped in the way that God would want to send me. And some of us need to uproot our lives a little bit and say, not my will, God, but your will be done. So here's my house, here's my car, here's my bank account, here's my community, here's my life. I'm placing it on the altar of worship to you and however you want to use me, whether it be here or somewhere else, I'm ready to go. As difficult as that will be. The first mention of Abraham in Hebrews speaks of him leaving the place he knows to go to a place he doesn't. It's insane. Notice the next one, and i got to get moving. God also, at times, will cause us to trust him even when things seem impossible. So the next mention we get of Hebrews, we are told that now Sarah is to be commended by faith, verse 11, Sarah herself received power to conceive even when she was past the age, since she considered God faithful who had promised. Therefore, from one man and Abraham, as good as dead, were born descendants as many as the stars of heaven and as many as the innumerable grains of sand by the seashore. So here's the thing. He gets to the promised land. Twenty-five years passes Sometimes living by faith doesn't guarantee a quick response. He's 75. When he leaves, he gets to Canaan, and he's there, and he's 100 years of age. He's old. She's old. Any prospect of them having kids is gone. In fact, Abraham in Genesis it starts questioning God. In Genesis chapter 12, just a verse later, Moses says, now he starts to question. He says in Genesis chapter 12, uh, let's see here. Uh, verse, uh, uh, let's see here. Uh, <laughs> Sometimes the pastor loses his place. I don't know where it's at. Is it verse four? It's not, that's not it. You're fooling me. Uh, Oh, chapter 15. There we go. Chapter 15, uh, verse 2. But Abraham said, O Lord God, what will you give me? For I continue childless and the heir of my house is Eleazar of uh, Damascus. And Abraham said, Behold, you have given me no offspring and a member of my household will be my heir. And so here we need to understand he's been promised something and it doesn't come to fruition. And for... 100 years, Abraham and Sarah, who's 90, live without having a child. The problem is at 75, Abraham is guaranteed a son, but it doesn't come. And it's in these impossible moments, people, that I want you to recognize that's where our faith is tested the most, in the waiting rooms of life. When God seems distant, when his promises seem to be unrealized, and it's in these moments that three things take place. Number one, we will begin to doubt God. God, where are you? God, why aren't you doing what you said you were going to? God, why are you making me look like a laughingstock in front of my community? God, you say you've got a plan, but your plan isn't being realized. And Abraham starts to doubt. He says, I'm going to have to give my land to a slave in my household. That doesn't make sense. That surely isn't your plan. And then he doubles down on it. It's one thing to doubt. But Abraham, knowing that his wife's old and he's as good as dead, comes up with his own plan. Be careful in waiting for God that you don't do your own thing. Abraham does his own thing. We don't have time to get into it, but Sarah comes up with this idea. I'm no good at having kids. Abraham, it's my problem. It's not yours. Why don't I give you uh, Hagar, my handmaiden, and, and you interact with her, and maybe she can conceive for you, and maybe she'll have a kid. A- and she does. And Abraham, being foolish, brings another woman into his midst. And as a result of that, all kinds of issues come. Ishmael is born, and he gets an heir. But he gets an heir through his own pursuit, his own plan. And some of us right now, because God has us in a waiting room, we are working and trying to address our issues and our faith without God. And Abraham did it. And I want you to know with Abraham, every time he goes by his own on his own way, He fails. When he's with God, God is with him. I can tell you every time I do things in my own strength, I fail, but when I'm in step with God, God always allows me to see a better way than the way I would go. This leads to incredible disruptions. Incredible disruptions. We doubt God's providence. We do things our own way, write that down. And then we cause all kinds of disruptions, okay? He brings another woman into his marriage. She has a kid. Sarah hates Hagar. Ishmael and Hagar feel abandoned by God, abandoned by people that they thought they could love. They thought they were doing the right thing and then they're left by the wayside. All kinds of disruptions come their way, all because Abraham chooses to do it his way, and not God's way. Be careful in the waiting rooms of life that you don't do your own thing. Well, that brings us to one final thing. Why should we go the way of Abraham? Hebrews chapter 13 tells us, verse 13, these all died not having received the things promised but having seen them and greeted them from afar and having acknowledged that they were alien or sorry strangers and exiles on the earth for people who speak thus make it clear that they are seeking a homeland if they had been thinking of that land which they had gone out, they would have had opportunity to return. But as it is, it is our a better country that is a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. Why do we choose the way of faith instead of the way of our own? Because the way of God, write this down, is incomparable. The writer of Hebrews says, listen, the reason why Abraham chose to go the way of God was God promised something better than he could do on his own. I want you to know, Christian, God has promised something greater for you than you will ever accomplish on your own. And I get that it's not fully realized, but God says, I have got a great plan for you. The, the uh, prophet Isaiah says, no eye has seen, no ear has heard what God has prepared for his people. And you say, but it isn't here yet. No, it is at the end of the road of the life of faith. So start step by step taking that journey. And in doing so, Wonderful things will take place if we do a couple things. Number one, we have to live differently. We have to live as aliens and strangers. What that means is that the rest of the world will live life as if it's their own and they're going to make life be the best that it can be. Why? Because they've got 70 years or 80 years on this earth and they need to make it the best they can because as soon as they die, they go to the grave and that's it. But, brothers and sisters, we are just traversing this world because when we die, we know that we are going to stand before Jesus and he is going to usher us into his presence and we will spend eternity with him. So, the way we live today has a direct implication on how we will spend eternity, and that means we're going to live very, very differently than the world around us. Number two, we need to live differently. And notice the second thing. As we live differently, it is also going to call us to long expectantly. Why would he do it? Because he was promised something better than he had here. And you and I have been promised, just as Abraham was, a city whose foundation isn't built by man, but a heavenly city that is designer and builder is of God. The great hope for every Christian is that one day we will reside in a city and in a place and in a land that is built by the hands of God for His People. And so whatever happens in this world, the good, the bad, and the ugly of life is all just a fraction of what we go through because we look to a city that God is preparing for us. Jesus told his disciples, for I go to prepare a place for you. And if I'm going to prepare it, then I will come back to take you so you will be with me forever. We long for heaven. And that means we need to love gratefully. So we're in this journey, and God's called us to insane things, and God's called us to impossible things. And you're like, the journey's hard. Well, the Bible says that God finds it his pleasure to be our God. And what that means is, is that God loves being in the seat next to you as you journey in this life of faith. And he knows that at times you're going to go sideways, and I'm going to go sideways. And he doesn't sit there and say, let me out of the car. He says, I'll be with you. I'll never leave you nor forsake you. You are my son, and I am your God, and we're going to do this thing together. And so whether you're going through good times or bad, whether God's calling you to the common or to the insane, never forget forget and fall in love with the idea that you have a God by your side who will walk with you every step of the way. And he, maybe not you, but he knows where you're going. And he says the one who started the good work in you will be faithful to see it to completion. He did with Abraham. He's done it in your pastor's life. And I know he wants to do it in your life as well.